Chapter Six, Part Three of *The Many-Sided Franklin* by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Six: Writer and Journalist, Part Three. It is a pity that Franklin could not read both these judgments, for no one would have enjoyed such literary curiosities more, and that he should have successfully deceived biographers and critics is only a further monument to his cleverness in letters. Franklin attempted a far more difficult piece of biblical revision, however, than a paraphrase of Job, by rewriting the Lord's Prayer. His draft, which has been strangely overlooked by his editors and biographers, though imperfect, gives reasons for each suggested change, too long to be included here, though most interesting. The text of the prayer, as far as extant, was, quote, Heavenly Father, may all revere thee, and become thy dutiful children and faithful subjects. May the laws be obeyed on earth as perfectly as they are in heaven. Provide for us this day, as thou hast hitherto daily done. Forgive us our trespasses, and enable us likewise to forgive those that offend us. Keep us out of temptation. How far Franklin deemed the style of the Bible obsolete and unagreeable is shown by another literary joke. He found in a book of Jeremy Taylor's a parable teaching the toleration he was so constantly advocating, and was so charmed with the moral, quote, well worth being made known to all mankind, end quote, that he rewrote it in scripture language, and printing off a few copies, kept one laid in his Bible. In time he came to know what he called Genesis 51, so well as to need no text, and one of his pleasures was, quote, reading it by heart out of my Bible, and obtaining the remarks of the scripturians upon it, which were sometimes very diverting, end quote. This amusement was finally ended by one of his friends, Lord Kames, who had persuaded Franklin to give him a copy, printing it without my consent in his History of Man, and so giving it general circulation. It must not be supposed from this accenting of his sleight of pen that Franklin spent his time in literary leisure domain. From the time he retired from active printing and journalism, he was a prolific scribbler, both of newspaper articles and of pamphlets, on all subjects he was interested in, which owed their influence to force of argument rather than to their form or turn of phrase. Poor Richard said, A, they say, has wit. For what? For writing? No, for writing not. But his creator was a living denial of the lines, for, judged by the product, his pen seems never to have been idle. He not merely wrote himself, but utilized the writings of others. During his long and bitter contests in Pennsylvania politics, he wrote many squibs and pamphlets of a strongly partisan nature, and he was charged by an opponent with having encumbered the minutes of the assembly with, quote, a load of scurrilous messages of your own drawing, and long reports put together from law books, old histories, and journals. End quote. In his service as agent in England from 1764 to 1775, he caused every important American pamphlet to be republished in London, usually adding a preface of his own. In Paris, he was instrumental in starting a periodical that should disseminate news of the revolution untinctured by British prejudice. He saw to it that certain periodicals employed writers friendly to the American cause and encouraged other men to write. 
his long experience had taught him the value of the press and in every contest in which he took a share he used it to its fullest extent the ancient romans and greek orators he remarked could only speak to a number of citizens capable of being assembled within the reach of their voice their writings had little effect because the bulk of the people could not read now by the press we can speak to nations and good books and well-written pamphlets have great and general influence the facility with which the same truths may be repeatedly enforced by placing them daily in different lights in newspapers which are everywhere read gives a great chance of establishing them and we now find that it is not only right to strike while the iron is hot but that it may be very practical to heat it by continually striking unquestionably his best work in a literary sense were what he himself termed bagatelles being little essays written during his years in france and never destined for publication but solely for the amusement of the little circle of intimates he drew about him and in some cases composed for the entertainment of a single invalid of whom he was particularly fond in this way were produced the whistle the ephemera the morals of chess the dialogue with the gout and the handsome and deformed leg each of which in its own way has rarely been excelled in its combination of the two elements which go to make the best literature wisdom of thought and charm of form one peculiarity of this pen activity was his endeavor to avoid being the draftsman of public papers in his long political service he could not help but prepare one occasionally yet whenever possible he left it for others to do and though he was unquestionably the foremost writer of his country during his lifetime not one really famous document was framed by him his reasons for this policy were given to thomas jefferson under circumstances that made them peculiarly interesting Quote, when the declaration of independence was under the consideration of congress there were two or three unlucky expressions in it which gave offence to some members the words scotch and other foreign auxiliaries excited the ire of a gentleman or two of that country severe strictures on the conduct of the british king in negativing our repeated repeals of the law which permitted the importation of slaves was disapproved by some southern gentlemen whose reflections were not yet matured to the full abhorrence of that traffic although the offensive expressions were immediately yielded these gentlemen continued their depredations on other parts of the instrument i was sitting by dr franklin who perceived that i was not insensible to these mutilations i have made it a rule said he whenever in my power to avoid becoming the draughtsman of papers to be reviewed by a public body i took my lesson from an incident which i will relate to you when i was a journeyman printer one of my companions an apprentice hatter having served out his time was about to open shop for himself his first concern was to have a handsome signboard with a proper inscription he composed it in these words john thompson hatter makes and sells hats for ready money with the figure of a hat subjoined but he thought he would submit it to his friends for their amendments the first he showed it to thought the word hatter tautologuous because followed by the words makes hats would show he was a hatter it was struck out the next observed that the word makes might as well be omitted because his customers would not care who made the hats if good and to their mind they would buy by whomsoever made he struck it out 
a third said he thought words for ready money were useless as it was not the custom of the place to sell on credit every one who purchased expected to pay they were parted with and the inscription now stood john thompson sells hats sells hats says his next friend why nobody will expect you to give them away what then is the use of that word it was stricken out and hats followed it the rather as there was one painted on the board so the inscription was reduced ultimately to john thompson with the figure of a hat subjoined End quote. in objecting to submit his writings to criticism of this kind franklin's sense of humor was too strong not to get amusement out of the author's undue valuation of his own work quote, i have of late fancied myself to write better than i ever did he told a friend who jocosely asserted that his judgment was on the decline and farther that when anything of mine is abridged in the papers or magazines i conceit that the abridger has left out the very best and brightest parts these my friend are much stronger proofs and put me in mind of gil blass's patron the homily maker more seriously he complained of a london editor who for party reasons made corrections and omissions in one of his pieces he hath drawn the teeth and pared the nails of my paper so that it can neither scratch nor bite franklin grumbled it seems only to paw and mumble yet he welcomed true criticism and in reply to such a one from david hume he wrote quote, i thank you for your friendly admonition relating to some unusual words in the pamphlet it will be of service to me the pejorate and the colonize since they are not in common use here i give up as bad for certainly in writings intended for persuasion and for general information one cannot be too clear and every expression in the least obscure is a fault the unshakable too though clear i give up as rather low the introducing new words where we are already possessed of old ones sufficiently expressive i confess must be generally wrong as it tends to change the language yet at the same time i cannot but wish the usage of our tongue permitted making new words when we want them by composition of old ones whose meanings are already well understood the german allows of it it is a common practice with their writers many of our present english words were originally so made and many of the latin words in point of clearness such compound words would have the advantage of any we can borrow from the ancient or from foreign languages for instance the word inaccessible though long in use among us is not yet i dare say so universally understood by our people as the word uncommutable would be which we are not allowed to write but i hope with you that we shall always in america make the best english of this island our standard and i believe it will be so i assure you it often gives me pleasure to reflect how greatly the audience if i may so term it of a good english writer will in another century or two be increased by the increase of english people in our colonies this shrewd estimate of the future value of an american public to british writers he discussed more at length in a letter to his friend strahan the publisher Quote, by the way he informed him the rapid growth and extension of the english language in america must become greatly advantageous to the booksellers and holders of copyrights in england a vast audience is assembling there for english authors ancient present and future our people doubling every twenty years 
and this will demand large and of course profitable impressions of your most valuable books i would therefore if i possessed such rights entail them if such a thing be practicable upon my posterity for their worth will be continually augmenting this may look a little like advice and yet i have drunk no madeira these six months what franklin did not conceive was that the american authors and publishers would in time reverse the process and profit by the english reader yet had it been possible for him to entail the copyright of poor richard and his autobiography on his own descendants they would have been made rich by the wide sale of these two books in anglo-saxon countries the autobiography the most famous of all his writings is of peculiar interest not merely as a story of his life but because it is his only real endeavor to write a book it was begun in seventeen seventy one during a visit with his friend bishop shipley at twyford and as originally planned was merely a letter to his son william franklin that he might quote, learn the circumstances of my life other occupations compelled him to lay it aside when it had been brought down only to seventeen thirty one left in philadelphia with his papers when franklin sailed for france the manuscript in the turmoil of the revolution was actually thrown into the street where by good chance it was found by an old friend who was so charmed by a reading that he begged franklin to complete it in compliance with the wish a few pages were added in seventeen eighty four which mark a complete change of plan for the alienation from his son had meantime come and so the work was no longer a personal communication meant for one eye only but was now written with publication in mind accordingly its author sought to engraft a second book on the story of his life from the year seventeen thirty two franklin quote, had had in mind a little work for the benefit of youth to be called the art of virtue which he described to lord kames as follows quote, from the title i think you will hardly conjecture what the nature of such a book may be i must therefore explain it a little many people lead bad lives that would gladly lead good ones but do not know how to make the change they have frequently resolved and endeavored it but in vain because their endeavors have not been properly conducted to expect people to be good to be just to be temperate etc without showing them how they should become so seems like the ineffectual charity mentioned by the apostle which consists in saying to the hungry the cold and the naked be ye fed be ye warmed be ye clothed without showing them how they should get food fire and clothing in resuming the autobiography therefore quote, to shorten the work as well as for other reasons i omit all facts that might not have a tendency to benefit the young reader by showing him from my example and my success in emerging from poverty and acquiring some degree of wealth power and reputation the advantages of certain modes of conduct which i observed and avoiding the errors which were prejudicial to me end quote it was this motive which induced franklin to write with extraordinary frankness of the mistakes of his youth and every erratum which he told in the autobiography was described not because he took any pleasure in cataloguing his own failings but in the hope that it might be of benefit in saving others from similar slips in the next few years franklin urged by his friends worked at the book but his time was heavily mortgaged to the public and when at last leisure came he found that the gout and stone were faster workers than the man 
and they wrote finis to the real life when that on paper had passed over only a little more than half its story to judge franklin from the literary standpoint is neither easy nor quite fair it is not to be denied that as a philosopher as a statesman and as a friend he owed much of his success to his ability as a writer his letters charmed all and made his correspondence eagerly sought his political arguments were the joy of his party and the dread of his opponents his scientific discoveries were explained in language at once so simple and so clear that ploughboy and exquisite could follow his thought or his experiment to its conclusion yet he was never a literary man in the true and common meaning of the term omitting his uncompleted autobiography and his scientific writings there is hardly a line of his pen which was not privately or anonymously written to exert a transient influence fill an empty column or please a friend the larger part of his work was not only done in haste but never revised or even proofread yet this self-educated boy and busy practical man gave to american literature the most popular autobiography ever written a series of political and social satires that can bear comparison with those of the greatest satirists a private correspondence as readable as walpole's or chesterfield's and the collection of poor richard's epigrams has been oftener printed and translated than any other production of an american pen if you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead and rotten either write things worth reading or do things worth the writing advised the almanac maker and his original did both yet franklin himself asserted Quote, he that can compose himself is wiser than he that composes books End of chapter six